Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. We did we did a good job on the hey, intro, guys. Look at that. <laughs> Love it when a plan comes together. Uh yeah. <laughs> Speaking We're... of plans coming together. <laughs> yeah, really? Oh god. Speaking of getting the intro right, um, thank you guys for joining us for part three of our snide posium. That's not Ooh. it. No, I I'm I like that. Okay, I mean, our snide posium. We we're we're back. Snyder posium. We're by the end of this uh podcast's run, we will have reviewed all of Snyder's movies and always in very sort of obtuse ways. Like we'll always find a back door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, a, that's a reason to not watch one of them, but that the, justifies a second. The the post credits scene to this podcast is that we still haven't done his Army of the Dead or Army of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead because right. we're gonna shove that off into a a theoretical version of Here Come the Sequels that would do that franchise, right? Um. So yeah, but yeah, you're right. We it it never the Snyder never strikes this podcast the same way twice. That's what we're saying. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's only fitting with his filmography that we just kind of, it's sporadically successful, much like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do an episode where we just review his, the movie, uh, the music videos he's done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like the I film know? sucker punch, which we're reviewing now. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Or, um, Desolation Row by My Chemical Romance. I know we're all thinking mm-hmm. about that song all the time. Oh, Grandma. I'm pretty sure I specifically pointed that out when we did you our did. Watchmen episode. <laughs> Probably. I like that song. I don't There's know. There's no the, way to be sure. Guys, I, 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 this is going to alienate the listeners, and I'm sorry. Please don't stop listening to the podcast. I don't know the difference between them and Good Charlotte. I, there, I said it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, teens. I don't know. I should. Well, it's okay because our discussion about Sucker Punch is really going to bring the teens back around. <laughs> They're going to be on board. Oh yeah, the, the the teens at work are always talking about Sucker Punch. Mm-hmm. I hear them coming in. They they walk over to the library after school. They're always like, "I'm I'm going to be Sweet Pea this time, <laughs> but you know I'm Rocket, not the raccoon, you loser." Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. J- much like in Guardians of Gahul, the characters in this movie just have names from yeah. anywhere, for any reason. Mm-hmm. Some of them make sense. One of them makes sense. I think a couple of them make sense. We'll get to it. Okay. We'll get Blondie, to it. Blondie, Vanessa Hudgens being named Blondie, it's kind of like when you call a big guy tiny. So sure, I can get into it. It's, it's a real sucker punch, if you will. You've Thank got, you. Yeah, you've got, you've got Stick from Daredevil. Where's that coming from? <laughs> <laughs> you've got Don Draper. <laughs> right, right. You you have Poe. At least Mo- you have Poe Dune Knight Dameron in it. At least John Hamm is a different character, and I realized that uh, Daredevil. No, when what was the first season of Daredevil? Twenty fifteen. Yeah. Was it really that far down? Okay, then yeah. So I realized that this preceded Daredevil, but still. No, I was, <laughs> distracting. During this movie, I was like, "Wait a minute, Scott Glenn." <laughs> <laughs> Does this mean that you were a hallucination you know in Daredevil the whole time? You know what? Man got paid. And I also have actual thoughts about his character. But anyway. Yeah. And I like Scott punch. Glenn as an actor. Sucker Punch is a thing mm-hmm. we watched and are now going to talk about. And what yeah. kind of thing is it? Well, Alex, do those scores and I'll do the synopsis. And then we'll really get this train on a run 
to get to the bomb, which is called a kitchen knife, because just make mm-hmm. it work, guys. Just make it work. So, so the we've reached the end of our uh, Snyder trilogy of sorts uh, with Sucker Punch from 2011, of course, directed by Zack Snyder. It has a 22% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 47% audience score. I believe that's so weird. I thought this was directed by Ron Howard. But... <laughs> See what you didn't know. Just is he, the train sequence. He came in and did a lot of reshoots. Tyler <laughs> did a lot of reshoots. Um, they needed another guy who has a ton I, they, of they, 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 they went to Ron Howard and said, make it more sexy. Guys, I want to, I want to know what the, like what the direction would be on a movie like this. If they kicked the director off and brought in somebody new. Like where would they go? Who? What? What <laughs> yeah. advice? What? What? What studio mandate would they lay down on this to be like? Uh, you should. Well, I think we think maybe the focus groups they didn't like some th- that part. <laughs> that, that one thing. I I feel like their pitch would be ditch one of the dream levels, but we don't know which one. <laughs> right, guys. I'm now. <laughs> what if Ron Howard just rolled up his sleeves and he had like full sleeve tattoos like he was a chef or something <laughs> kitchen knife for some reason that that amuses me he seems like a very nice man what are the scores alex i already said them you sure did <laughs> gotcha <laughs> I, gotcha listeners my gotcha. last point on that is that i believe the critic score is the lowest of his entire filmography so really i'm pre- wait say that again what was it it's a 22 percent okay lower than bvs BBS, I think, is a twenty six percent. At least last time that okay. I looked at this, Weird. we watched we watched Guardians of Gahul last week, uh, and I was like, man, I think that that critic score is is very harsh. I don't really get where that's coming from. This one, you read that off, and I'm like, well, I'm, <laughs> I, I I can't help you there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this and, is going to be an odd discussion. Let me just and, get that right right out right out front. And speaking of not being able to help your buddies, this is what Sucker Punch is all about. <laughs> Locked away, mm-hmm. a young woman named Baby Doll, yep, it's that kind of movie, retreats to a fantasy world where she is free to go wherever her mind takes her. That's right, it's a fanciful romp. Determined to fight for real freedom, she finds four women, Rocket, Blondie, Amber, and Sweet Pea, to join together to escape the terrible fate that awaits them. With a virtual arsenal at their disposal, the allies battle everything from samurais to serpents, dragons, while trying to decide what price they will pay for survival. Now, here's the thing. That's not a super accurate synopsis, but I don't know how you say it otherwise. Right. And you did say, you you said the name Baby Doll and said it's that kind of movie. I think... It's not exactly that kind. Of no, it's. Not. I think it's I think not. that gives a slightly different implication. Sure, sure. <laughs> that that is fair. But yes. Yeah, I will. Um, I would like to start by just giving my sort of over under on the movie. Um, and that is that. So I, I've seen this movie twice before, years and years and years ago, and this is such an interesting entry of of for Zack Snyder for me because on the one hand, uh, we. We and and others are constantly mentioning that Zack Snyder does a lot of stuff just because it looks cool. We're doing this shot because it's cool. We're having the sequence happen because it's cool. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't inherently there is nothing wrong with saying I'm going to make a movie where stuff happens because it's cool. I'm into that. And there are a lot of points in this movie where there is no reason thematically, artistically, whatever 
for there to be a samurai with a Gatling gun, except that Snyder thinks it's cool. And a lot of those sequences, certainly early, I was like, you know what? Sure, I'm into it. Let's do this. You're playing a, a crazy song in the background. I'm down. But usually, I think that's fine because Zack Snyder's... I, I, it, it's weird because this is also one of the rare movies that he's he is trying to say something within his movie. This isn't based on anything. This mm-hmm. is Zack Snyder and Steve Shibuya has a, a co-writing screen credit. So th- th- there is a goal with this movie. And I, if I am interpreting this accurately, I also agree with that message. And I, I think they are correct. But it's, I think it's one of those cases where they, they end up becoming the thing they're criticizing because it's just not done very well. And so then by the end of the movie, I, it was hard for me to just embrace the stuff that I was like, that's super silly and crazy, but it's just supposed to be cool. So yeah, whatever. I'm into Mm -hmm. it. And I was like, no, you haven't earned, like, I I don't have enough goodwill for this. And the other thing I will say is that this movie gets really upsetting at points for me. And, and I would say it's not to the same degree as, but in a similar way to how I felt during the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Sure. This is not as bad as the Rob Zombie movies at all. I do not, I am not equating them in terms of the degree to which I felt it. But in the sense that I was like, I feel like this is just upsetting. And I feel like I'm not getting much out of it. The moments of catharsis don't feel cathartic for me, but just like, okay, good. At least it's over now. Ugh, God. And it's something that I think this movie is dark in the way that like a 14 year old starts employing dark subjects in their creative writing. But you're like, why, why, why did you go? You just like started at 11. What are you doing? (laughs) Like there's no real like handling of the issues. It's just sort of throwing really intense stuff into it. And, uh, I'm 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 starting to ramble and trying to be succinct, so I I will I will wind down. But it it, it is the movie's trying to do two things at once, and I don't think I don't think it fully succeeds at either. But I definitely think yeah. they get in each other's way. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's sort of the the most benefit of the doubt I can give to it is yeah. that I do think there were good intentions behind the overall message i don't know that i have a clear message to take away from the movie necessarily but i i do think there was a genuine attempt to make this kind of a female empowerment Mm -hmm. kind of like oh here's some women working through some really horrible stuff to come together and over overtake their uh horrible captors or society or whatever it might be trying to comment on I think it's very hard to understand exactly what they're going for with the the ending and the fact that our main character ends up lobotomized and <laughs> like sort of at the the whims of I don't know it's really because Oscar Isaac does get arrested at the end um and I feel like you kind of have to go straight there to be like all right what is what is the through line here what are we trying to get at yeah um Alex, yeah. you look like you have thoughts. There's there's, the there's a lot there to unpack, and there's a lot that's not di- as in your face in the movie, um, as clear as it needs to be. Uh, I 
basically did, went on a deep dive after watching it. And I watched the extended cut for the movie. You guys watched the theatrical cut, so we can break down the differences. Um, there's only really like a couple of big ones. Um, but I went on a deep dive and started looking at video essays and looking at Snyder comments and whatever. And there's there's kind of a big element here that kind of broke my brain with regards to that ending. And particularly what happens to baby doll and if it even matters <laughs> um mm-hmm. there we'll, we'll get into that but uh, there's okay. there's there's more to it than than just that yeah and i just in case anyone's listening to this and hasn't watched the movie just to i know i did the synopsis but basically the structure of the movie is baby doll this young woman her mother dies and her abusive stepfather is bad and so she tries to protect her little sister from him and ends up accidentally killing her sister when she tries to kill him. Because again, we're just going to be really dark. You don't need to go that far, but we're going to go that far. And then she ends up going to a mental institution where she's going to be lobotomized. This is all supposed to take place in the fifties. And then, well, kind of, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And then within that, so, so that's kind of like your, your level one, right? She's in this mental institution. Yeah. She imagines this as being the the second layer where a lot of the action takes place in that she imagines herself as being in a, essentially working in like a dance hall brothel. Yeah, it's, um, it's burlesque slash a yeah. brothel. Yeah. And then every time she dances, we never see her dance, but every time she she dances to perform at this, at this place or distract somebody we then go deeper into her mind palace where she imagines her and her friends completing some, essentially a video game level. Yeah. And it's all, it, it's really crazy. And we can talk about exactly how crazy that is. So we have three levels where I guess the quote unquote real world is this mental institution where she and the other women are all patients. The imagined world, which is this sex hall brothel place. And then the, the third level, which is we're, we're we're fighting steampunk zombies in World War One. We it, no the the third level is we got to market this movie somehow. Yeah, sure. Well, and, I think the third level is also probably the stuff Snyder enjoyed doing the most. Sure. <laughs> and I think in a lot of ways it was the stuff that I enjoyed because that was when you just got into like fully anachronistic. Like we're gonna uh, she and she maybe it all envisions herself going to see the wise man in a feudal Japan style temple. And she gets a sword, but a katana, and also two pistols. And then she has to fight three giant samurai. And it's set to, like, a Bjork song or something. And all the action sequences are crazy and stuff doesn't line up. It's totally a video game and it's set to some crazy songs. And it, that stuff, I think, is generally pretty fun. But then the stuff in the sex hall gets really upsetting. And then you went back up in the lobotomy stuff. It's just all confusing and bizarre i am gonna be honest that i did not pick up on the fact that the sex hall is not supposed to be just like a thing that oscar isaac is running behind the scenes yeah so i think britain you had mentioned this beforehand and i had this same exact read the first time i watched it with which i think speaks to just kind of the poor execution and communication of information in this movie regardless of the cut i read the top two levels as being one so it's like 
oh, it's like a weird insane asylum that has like a backdoor burlesque club thing. And then underneath that is the video game cutscenes. It's yeah. no, it's it's three layers. Yeah, the real it's it's she to to escape the reality of the mental institution. She imagines this as being a world where, oh, my friends and I are going to escape this sexual slavery. Yeah. But then even within that, she's imagining herself as a warrior killing monsters. How much of the movie takes place on the asylum level? Like 5%. It, it's like bookended, basically. Okay. Yeah. Well, cause like, cause when, when they go, when she gets to the, uh, the asylum, Oscar Isaac, who is, who I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think he's the best performance in the movie. Um, yeah, not probably. that this isn't one of those movies where like anyone gets a ton of good material, but like he's genuinely really good. And he's playing this like haunted kind of baggy, like shadows under his eyes orderly in the mm-hmm. thing. And he shows, uh, baby doll to the theater quote unquote which is like this big gym where carla gugino has the girls like act out different scenarios to help him kind of process their their traumas or something and that's when baby doll starts imagining like oh it's like we're in this burlesque hall and putting on performances where oscar isaac is the sort of impresario and owner of this place and uh carla gugino is the uh dance instructor yeah um and now Oscar Isaac is playing a different kind of sleaze ball. In one, he's a sleaze ball with who's like a lackey who's trying to be the big boss, and the other, he's a sleaze ball who is the big boss. And his character is despicable, but Oscar Isaac is really good. And he has a dance number, and it's the best part of the movie. And he sounds great because he can sing, and uh, everyone likes Oscar Isaac. Yep. Yeah, it's Tyler. Very confusing, I... I think, specifically because Carla Gugino seems to be playing the same character. Sure. In, at any given time. Which I think is supposed to be... In terms of how Baby Doll or whoever were actually, like, looking at this story through, how they're supposed to see her as, like, oh, she's kind of, like, the one safe person we can kind of confide in, which is why she's more consistent than Oscar Isaac, I guess. Does she have a Russian accent at one point? Did I make that up? Polish. Yeah. Polish. She has which that prom- which prompted okay. me to ask the question: What if Carol Carroll was in this movie? Yeah. What if Carol Carroll was the dance instructor? Is is Carol Carroll waiting on the outside, looking up at the window at Baby Doll? <laughs> Baby Doll actually, what's her name from Three Colors White? I I I assume that Carol Carroll as the dance teacher with like the um, walking stick that she has like to tap the like, no faster, faster. That he would do that and like bonk himself on the head with it and have to like mm-hmm. immediately go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Oh, because he's a, a big goofball. Yeah, real clumsy. Yeah. Oh man, AFI's top ten movie heroes though. <laughs> Just, and you know what? Beat out Han Solo. Now that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I want to make that list now. It goes Atticus. At, it's Atticus Finch. Carol Carol, Han Solo, <laughs> Sonic, <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> and the other thing we should qualify about this is that um, one of, I think, the points of the movie is to, it, trying to trying to do the, the Wolf of Wall Street thing. I've heard this is true of funny games, but I haven't seen funny games where it's criticizing the audience for enjoying watching these women be subjugated. Um and uh, uh, Abby Cornish's character, Sweepy, has a line where she's 
Like, I get it. This is supposed to be hot. Like, the the schoolgirl and, like, the helpless mental patient, it's supposed to be sexy. Um, and the movie is trying to sort of criticize that salaciousness where these women are forced to wear, like... So in the sex hall stuff, they're constantly wearing, like, really cleavy leotards and baby dolls in, like, a schoolgirl short skirt and pigtails and, like, it's constantly no pants and all that kind of business. It's not, like, actual nudity, but it's all very sexualized. And this this is something I will say. Um, I thought this movie would kind of dissuade me from my, my notions that Zack Snyder is um, overall pretty... I don't, I don't know what the word would be. Um, not even tame, but like uh, not tasteful. As tasteful yeah, and and not as bad comedy. as you would think, certainly. Yeah, t- tasteful in terms of um, portraying like female nudity or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but no, like I, I still think, I mean, there, there are shots uh, in the first like 20 minutes of most Fast and Furious movies that offend me more than anything sure. in this movie. No, I, I completely uh, in, agree. In terms of the, like the way the camera like looks at women yes yes it is handled very differently and things like that versus this like they are in skimpier clothing but it's not yeah there's really a lot of like up the skirt shots and things right the camera's not like roving over anyone's chest or thighs or anything yeah and i think that because again like we've talked about how how not how like he doesn't over sexualize women in his movies and if he does he is also sexualizing the men a lot yeah so that's just not really a concern in a lot of his movies. And in this, I, I think that's he's trying to be critical of things that that do do that. And but but part of the problem becomes he I think he he goes so far because because to me, if that's the criticism, then every time they go into the, the deep fantasy where they're action heroes blowing up zombies and mm-hmm. fighting robots on a train, they would be wearing combat gear. They wouldn't be wearing sexualized like abby cornish has like this deep cleavage and like a leotard and everyone's in like tight leather and baby doll still in the schoolgirl outfit and it's i feel like if you had those sequences take place and they were in like actual more i guess more like sensible combat gear you would go ah i see but instead i think he just didn't really know i think he's trying to be critical of it the way that like wolf of wall street People thought Wolf of Wall Street was celebrating that behavior, but it, it wasn't. It was going, no, 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 no. It's a bad thing to do it, and you liked it. So what does it say about you? And I think Snyder just didn't quite know how to balance that. Um, but because yeah. it's like the the fact that her name is Baby Doll and she's got it's it's how I didn't realize when I was eight because of course I didn't that Baby Spice from the Spice Girls is pretty. It's it's a creepy thing for them to have had her do where she's like always sucking on a lollipop and having pigtails and being like a little girl like that's that's not cool guys <laughs> let's not do that to let's not sexualize that thing um it's like it's pretty clear that that's baby doll supposed to be a, a criticism of that trope sure but it ends up just becoming that trope instead of criticizing it yeah it ends up kind of she doesn't have much of a character yeah which uh, we'll get into that i think there's kind of a point to that <laughs> um maybe so uh, I, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and get my general thoughts out of the way and then we can really start breaking this down. Um, I think I, I've probably seen this movie the most. I think I've seen it like three, four times at this point. Have you uh, seen it more than The Way Back? Uh, yes, I have seen it more Whoa! than the Ben Affleck film The Way Back, which I mean, 
any film that breaks that record of, of yeah, watching you, it once, that's just like, what whoa. are you doing with your time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got a second laptop right next to me. That's playing the way back. It's on mute. So it's only like half the experience, but sure. AFI, uh, best movie heroes of all time. Number five, Ben Affleck from the way back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hey guys, do you remember that part in the way back when Ben Affleck was drinking? Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's a good scene. And- and then there's mm-hmm. a shot. It's like at the Oscars and Bradley Cooper's like sitting in a theater watching it going, it's such an effortless, noble <laughs> performance. Mm-hmm. Look at the way, look at the way he drinks. <laughs> so glorious. Uh, there, there is some, he's, he, there is some shower drinking scenes in that movie. And it's like genuinely like he, he gets it across. He gets across the, the desperation. Yeah. It oh, comes, listen, it comes through. It, it takes a, it takes craft. To, mm-hmm. to to plumb those depths. Try it's fine. Bit. It's a, it's hey, a fine performance. We're gonna be here all day trying to talk about Sucker Punch. <laughs> this is the last thing I'll say. Has Mar- has Mark Rylance ever done a scene where he drank in a shower? I rest my case. Alex, talk about the thing. I, I feel like I can't say anymore. I think that's just the thought we need to leave the audience on. <laughs> hey guys, listen. That's our thoughts on Sucker Punch. Think about how one of the best actors on the planet. <laughs> um, I don't I don't want to say that I'm gonna be the defender of Sucker Punch, but I like I said, I did a bit of a deep dive and I think I've got I've got somewhat of a better read on it, especially after watching it a few times. Um, I do completely agree in terms of it's a it's a concept over execution issue. And even if I like a lot of elements in the movie and there's a lot of there's clearly a lot of thought and care put into it. Um, I think ultimately it just kind of fails in getting its message across. Um, but I do find it fascinating that, you know, back when it came out, the the criticism was just like, no, you're just, you're just objectifying these girls. Like you are just a 13 year old boy. Like this is a 13 year old boy's fantasy. And I feel like a, in a similar vein to Starship Troopers, everybody missed missed the social commentary sure. or the metaphor, um, which I think explains the twenty two percent. Because I don't feel like this is a twenty two percent movie. Um, I really, I really don't. Um, I think not to interrupt, but I yeah. do feel like part of that is that it doesn't really come across with something strong to re- replace or like latch onto. Sure. I think without looking into it further, obviously I missed a lot <laughs> apparently. Uh, but I think that is part of it is that like d- d- clearly watching it now and trying to look at it with a, a fresh eye. Like it's not, I don't think it is trying to be just like, it, I mean, thinking of the transformers movies, like those are preteen boy fantasies. Like yeah. that is very clearly like, again, the objectifying and everything like, comes across so strong and so obnoxiously. Um, this doesn't feel like that, even if I did not necessarily enjoy it. Right. That's not the angle I came away, away no, from. No, certainly not. Right. I, I don't want to sound like super pretentious and it's like, I've cracked the code, this movie's brilliant, because it's not. But I think there's a lot here that people just completely missed. And... I, I think in in many cases, like people just didn't pick up on those elements. I won't say they didn't get it, but they just didn't pick up on stuff. Um, and I do think that largely comes down to just not great communication from Snyder as a filmmaker, yeah. because as we have said before in other videos, I know we liked the Snyder cut. We liked parts of Guardians of Gahul. We liked 
I, I mostly liked Watchmen. You guys liked parts of Watchmen. Um, you know, he, he, he is a music video director and sometimes that gets in the way of actually telling a story. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know where to start. I, we we can just like get into the action scenes. I I can kind of tell you my my takeaway from my my deep dive into video essays and such. I don't I don't know where we want to. We can talk about the dance number. Which which one? Well, okay. So here's the thing: you never actually <laughs> see Baby Doll dance. They're always like, Baby Doll, you go out dance, distract the the cook, and we'll get the knife. Right. Um. That ate the cat that killed the rat that lived in the house that Oscar yes. Isaac built. Which, um, uh, I feel like I should say, um, I finished, like, I got through watching the first of the, the four sequences um, where she's kind of going into the Mind Palace, being a big action hero. The other women come along and they're all, they're all doing a big fight. Um, and we got... It, it, it finished that and i was kind of like oh god there's there's three more of those uh, <laughs> like like that was my immediate reaction i think because i was so disconnected from the like plot purpose of that like it it immediately felt so clear that it was oh this is just like filler and obviously the idea is that it's distracting to everyone watching her so that the other women can steal whatever item needs to be stolen. But I don't, like, I don't think like talking about again about the, Oh, you, you have to um, show the audience that they're enjoying this thing. They shouldn't be enjoying, but it's like, I don't know what else I was supposed to do there other than just sit there and (laughs) be like, all right, this is happening. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, And I, a big part of that for me as a side note, I I don't like the color grading in those scenes. I don't think they're very pleasing to look at. Yeah. I, I, it um, felt very much like BVS in terms of just, this is just yes. an ugly image, isn't it? Yes. Which I'm, uh, I'm willing to give this one a bit more leeway because it's a lot of dream world fantasy stuff versus sure. quote unquote, the real world. But, but it, it really bothers me that they all look the same. Yeah. And with the color grading, I kind of wish because they all are so fantastical and one's a big castle and one's a, um, big japanese dojo and they're they're going to all these different locations but they they all feel like they look the same and it's not very pleasing also my one prevailing thought from all those action scenes is has Zack snyder played elden ring because i think he'd have (laughs) a good time i think he should oh i'm yeah aesthetically there is so much from software in this movie (laughs) Uh i think he inspired miyazaki to make yep. some of those games. Turns out George no, R. R. Martin's uh, yeah. favorite movie is Sucker Punch. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> but I, mean, I, messaged, also... I messaged you guys after she fights the three big samurai, and I said, "Do you think Zack Snyder thinks he in, he invented Dark Souls? <laughs> like this is so like that." And yes. again, giant samurai with a Gatling gun. I I in in so many pieces of media i would have my arms in the air and like but i very much do care and i'd be like this is fantastic i'm so happy mm-hmm. and this one i was just shaking my head and giggling like all right cool all right man let's do this sure the that, movie hasn't upset me yet so we're fine i, I don't i want to 
reserve this uh, until closer to the end. I'll let Alex kind of dive into some of his discoveries um, to see if I still feel like this tracks. But I, I do feel like that scene clicked for me a, a unifying theory of Snyder uh, that I would like to discuss. And so we'll uh, we'll come back around to that. Well, let me, Alex, you took that far more seriously than I expected. I mean, I'm, I I, I want to hear your thoughts. Like uh, this movie is interesting <laughs> to talk about. I feel like there's a lot there's a lot here, which you know, sure. for something like 300, there wasn't really much to talk about. It's just like it's kind of yeah. stupid, and I don't know if it's a yeah. joke. <laughs> but this one, I'm like, no, Snyder's trying to get at something here. Let's see if we can move it along a little bit. Um, so yeah, in terms of the action sequences, I think. Kind of, kind of fully realizing the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, they're really building up like baby dolls ability to dance and how it's hypnotic. It's weird that we don't see that. I think just in terms of film language. So kind of on subsequent watches. And like I said, doing my deep dive and stuff, I was like, okay, I've got to, that's, that's an angle I can try and attack this from. Like, what is the point of the action scenes and really kind of coming to terms with it's supposed to be for modern audiences that go to this type of movie and like nerd and nerd and fanboy culture that is it's the equivalent of a striptease but it's it's on this grander scale so i don't want to say like oh it's on purpose that the action scenes are just pointless distractions but they are they are mm. pointless distractions and that's that that is why they yeah. are there yeah. um and one of the things that i also picked up on is you know, like we had said, the movie is kind of set in the 50s, but kind of not. And I was also, I think a lot of people were turned off by that. But like when she goes into these dream sequences, they're just pulling from all over the place. And the music tracks are very contemporary, like what's going on. And it took another movie to really kind of make alleviate my feelings on that. And that's Moulin Rouge, which is supposed to be set, I think, in late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that pulls in modern music. But the idea with that is supposed to be, no, we're pulling in modern music because that was the feeling that people had for right. the music of their day. Sure. It's supposed to be like this, oh, it's like this new time and we're going to live it up, that type of thing. Right. So right. that's that kind of clicked for me in terms of like, oh, all of these action scenes are all over the place because she's just imagining like the craziest thing she can think of. Which is why the music's just like these very weird off-kilter covers of other songs. Like, all of that started making sense to me. Um, I've often said that Bobby Darren was the Bjork of his day. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's on the poster. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, once all that stuff started to click for me, I mean, I don't know if it works. Because, like, in terms of a movie, you want scenes to matter and you want them right. to push the plot along. But in terms of, like, what the metaphor is, I think on subsequent watches it makes sense. I sure. think that is an, an interesting – I think that, I think that does – again, I think it's one of those things where I get what you're trying to do. I don't know that it fully worked, but I it right. make, that makes sense to me. Yeah. No, I, I had goal. I had the exact same feeling on it. Yeah. yeah. That that clicked for me pretty quickly. That Maybe not specifically the, the, the idea that it was a distraction for us, but, like – the idea that the reason we don't see her dancing is because this is symbolizing what that's doing for the man right. watching. Right. Uh, I feel like it doesn't really work for me in particular, or didn't work for me in particular because I already was like, no, I'm not enjoying this that much. Like, <laughs> we can move along. I'm not. Yeah. I, I, I will know. say, I mean, it's like a magic I... trick. If the magic trick doesn't work, then it just falls apart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I, I do. 
even though it feels weird that we never see the thing she's supposed to be so good at, I do like that we didn't have to watch the uh, Emily Browning do like a sexy dance because that sure. would have been another problem within uh, yeah uh, this movie. I think, and again, I think that that again shows it's not it's how intentional that is, and I don't. Emily Browning's like my age, I think. So it's not like she was a 14 year old when she shot the movie or anything, but it, you know, it still just would have felt icky, which it should. But anyway, I do. Um, I do love the idea of uh, them showing it finally. And, and she's just like doing some twenties, like uh, <laughs> doing, doing the, the Charlton or whatever. Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> the Charleston. Uh, yeah. Charleston. There we go. Or doing just like a very oh, basic, like two step back and forth being like, yes. Pill makes you larger and <laughs> makes you small or carla gugino throws her a top hat <laughs> um um but well, well and the other thing i wanted to, to to get at with the action sequences is i was thinking about this yesterday okay so in the video game persona 5 um okay. there's a lot of going into people's mind palaces which i think they literally call them that and mm-hmm. defeating their subconscious basically i don't know um, it's a great game, but there's, there's a lot of like in, in that game, they'll say, Oh, this person, their mind palace is like a casino because of greed. And they kind of relate it to something about their character. Oh, the and band watching... Creed starts playing. That's, that's, a <laughs> yeah, weird it's choice. Crazy. that's a, that's a weird Moulin Rouge take if I've ever seen it. Yeah. Especially for, for Persona 5. Um, but, uh, there's a, so I was trying to think within within this movie, like, okay, what about this particular setting is sort of an analog for what's happening in the actual action? And then I, I was like, well, no, they've they've kind of fit. If in the quote real world, they're like, oh, we have to get the knife from the cook, or we have to get the lighter. They create a MacGuffin version of that thing in the fantasy, where it's right. like the, uh, some crystals in a dragon's throat, or a bomb called a kitchen knife. Um, or an actual map, but the rest of the thing is just kind of whatever the idea Snyder had was. And yeah. I was like, I feel like if you had more a clearer analogy of like why it's trench warfare mm-hmm. or why it's a castle, and then but what you, but what you're saying, Alex, is like, well, that makes sense then for it to just be whatever nonsense he smushed together because if if those sequence if those action sequences are not supposed are, are supposed to just be pointless distractions, then it's fine if it's a pointless setting. Right. And we're going to use biplanes to kill this, these orcs. Like. Right. Sure. Exactly. I, yeah. I think the closest they come is like, in terms of like commentary or whatever is the dragon sequence. Cause like they have to kill the baby dragon and then kill the mother dragon. So maybe it's a, a, a commentary about like traditional, you know, female roles sure. in the household. I don't know. Well, you have to kill the past. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in many ways, this 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 film is trying to say that you have to let the past go, kill it if you have to. Um, but another kind of angle I, I kind of attacked to this face. <laughs> Still going. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mind. House. We're going to review uh, another great Oscar Isaac movie next, uh, which is Inside Lewin Davis. There it is. I'd be okay with that. Um, the movie's soul crushing. It's really good, but it's soul crushing. You know what also is soul crushing is Sucker Punch. <laughs> uh, 
I think another kind of angle I attacked this from, and this kind of gets into the larger, like, what is the film trying to say at the end? And kind of the general, is this about female empowerment or not type message? I I kind of latched onto the idea that the action sequences and like that level of reality is her, it, it is her defense mechanism. So it's like, she doesn't enjoy the sexy dance. Like this is why she is picturing it as something else. Um, and if like, it gives her the opportunity and, and she's imagining all these other girls having the opportunity to feel free and empowered and to like completely take control of their environment. I think that makes sense. I mean, sometimes if I'm dealing with a really difficult patron at the library, I imagine myself as a Power Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> but this time I'm right. beating up, like, Stalin. <laughs> and they're like, we- why did you charge me all these fines? And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. I just ran him over with my Zord. <laughs> I'm beating Stalin and Rita Repulsa in my mind. <laughs> Uh, sort of, sort of along those lines. There is a, a a moment in this where they uh they burn a blimp, and yeah. I was like, you know, I realize it's been a hundred years since the Hindenburg, whatever. It's kind of the Titanic thing, you know, statue limitations. Maybe we can move sure. on. But it, that does feel a little like, oh, it's a little bit tasteless to do. You know, it'd be kind of like, like, the, like, imagine if somebody was using, you know, kind of nine eleven imagery to wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I know someone who's done exactly that. <sighs> Snyder. I was gonna say Greta Gerwig did that. Greta, I must have missed that one. <laughs> and Little Women. <laughs> Also, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that moment, Britain, that you always love to highlight where it's Sorcerer Ronan punches Timothy Chalamet and then a building <laughs> fell in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There, there's that weird part where she's like, I just want people to understand that women have thoughts and we have dreams and we have goals and we're not just about love and jet fuel can't melt steel beams <laughs> and we have futures and passions. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I did uh, Google the president uh, when the Hindenburg happened was Franklin D. Roosevelt. That's mm-hmm. just not as funny as Taft. So, you know, sure. I wanted to let everyone know I checked. Tough. But eh, when there's, you know, there's not a lot of runway there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unlo- kind of like with Hindenburg, I guess. <laughs> do, do Zeppelins have runways? Uh, I don't I'm think not sure. So. When that uh, part happened in the movie, though, I did think, is Alex the only person who's seen Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow? P.S. Alex, have you seen Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? I've seen parts of it. I don't know if I've actually watched the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, next week. I mean, you're probably right. I am probably the only person yeah. that seen has seen any of Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never heard of this. It was a... It's not the spirit at all. It's not the spirit. But, it's not Sin City. It's not 300. It's one of those we shot everything on a green screen, and it's supposed to be like a retro... Like yeah. um, fifties crazy action sci-fi thing with Jude Law and Gwyneth Paltrow, I think, and Angelina mm-hmm. Jolie, but she has an eye patch. Yeah. So and it's like he's you know. the ace pilot, and Gwyneth Paltrow's the the uh, Spitfire reporter, and there's robots and stuff. It's yeah. yeah, I I don't remember it being very good, but 
that uh, entire thing, I, I kind of just went through assuming and hoping that both of you were making that up together on the spot. And I'm just going <laughs> to continue to yeah. go about with that. That's my like assumption from that conversation. All right, cool. Britain, we've got our test every week. Let's see if we can keep this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never heard of this Aladdin, but okay. <laughs> He he has he's he's friends with a monkey and a genie. Okay, guys, I can't buy this movie. Um, I I did want to ask kind of our thoughts on the characters and acting, but I feel like I have to kind of get into the my discoveries before we get to that because I think sure. a lot of this is going to kind of direct the rest of the conversation. Then do it. Do it. <laughs> okay. So the big realization at the end of the movie, and this is not conveyed very well at all, but Baby Doll and Sweet Pea are almost to the gates, but there's guys blocking the way they can't escape. And Baby Doll goes, no, this is what's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to sacrifice myself, and you're the one who gets away. This will be the ultimate victory if one of us is able to get away and have a happy life. And she specifically has the line of, I I was never the the uh, star of the show or yeah. I yeah. no this was never my story that's her line, um, and she goes this is right and she goes and and uh, confronts those guys uh, which is another distraction um, I'm surprised it didn't break out into an action scene um, to mm-hmm. allow Sweet Pea to get away, um, so the whole idea from that. And this is why Baby Doll is such a blank slate and why there's really not a whole lot to her character. Sweet Pea is the actual protagonist of the movie. Sure. And even further than that, and this is not conveyed in the movie. I mean, there are things at the beginning, but I don't think you can really string stuff together without looking at online forums and maybe a couple of quotes from Snyder. The whole movie might potentially be in Sweet Pea's mind, and Baby Doll is a manifestation and kind of a, a an infantilized, almost like pure of heart version of herself that she is picturing as a coping mechanism to try and get over trauma. Because yeah, you you mentioned when when in in the insanity or in the mental asylum where they go into the theater and Baby Doll sees them there's a part where they're acting out a sequence that's very similar to this lobotomy that baby doll is going to undergo. Yeah. So and it sweet, cu- sweet pea is playing yeah. the baby doll role. It cuts from baby doll sitting in the chair about to get the lobotomy from John Hamm. It cuts to sweet pea in that exact same position. And she's like, Un- undo these straps. Let me out. Um, so that's kind of the big hint. But also at the very beginning of the film, and this is like opening titles, like you're seeing the logos and everything, it shows a stage play with Sweet Pea narrating over it. And yeah. it's supposed to be the stage at the insane asylum where the girls are right. ex- reliving mm-hmm. their trauma. And so the idea is that, oh, that's the first picture that maybe all of this is some sort of recreation or some, you know, some sort of, uh, it's not real. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's Rocket, Jenna Malone's character, Sweet Pea's little sister. She dies, and at the beginning, Baby Doll's sister is accidentally killed. So I guess you have that. And and the idea would potentially be that instead of remembering her sister's death as some sort of tragic accident that she caused, she is now turning it into something positive. Oh, sure. it's it's a it's a it was a um, 
sacrifice to help her, you know. Yeah. Help help the team. I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess so. Does that mean that she does does or doesn't actually escape at the end? Well, that's there's a couple of telltale signs that point to she didn't actually escape and she got the lobotomy as well. Um, so the there's a smaller one then there's a bigger one. The smaller one is when she's waiting in the bus line, she sees this boy standing in front of her, and that is the boy that she sees in the trenches, right in the uh, second big dream sequence. Oh yeah. Um, and that's a very brief moment. So if you don't remember it, I, I totally understand. But the big giveaway is that when the bus is driving away, there's a sign, there's like a billboard off to the side that says paradise Island or paradise city or something. And they say multiple times in the movie, they equate going to paradise to getting a lobotomy. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess also all the characters in this movie, you see various kind of, you see the like different versions of them throughout the different levels of, of consciousness, I guess. Ross Grizek's the orderly or the impresario or what have you. But Scott Glenn, who is the bus driver at the end, you only ever see him in the fantasy sequences. There's not like a real world Scott Glenn. Right. Sure. So. Well, there, there is his name, Scott Glenn. Thank you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that, uh, that was who no, he no, was no. at the very end. It was the actor Scott it was Glenn. Actual, he just rides actor, buses. The actor Scott Glenn. Yes. Yeah, this is what I also do. Why does he? Ta- I didn't talk like that at all. <laughs> yeah, see, it's me, Scott Glenn. <laughs> I was in the right stuff. Yeah, see. Uh, so I'm I rough but sweet. Correct. Uh, I, I mean, the line about the. I'm glad you mentioned the stage play at the beginning because I totally forgotten watching that part and being like, oh, there's something going on with this and then totally letting it slide from my mind. Um, and I, I definitely, when she was like, oh, this is always your story, not mine, I was kind of like, okay, doing something here. Yeah. Um, I feel like it still leaves me confused on the overall, like, what what the message is and, and what the takeaway there is if it is ultimately just she ends up lobotomized in an insane asylum. Uh, and I think the other element of that is that it's really hard to feel like that's being pulled off successfully because there, like there's stuff like uh, Vanessa Hudgens uh, confessing what the plan is to uh, Carla Gugino and Oscar Isaac. Like, that's a scene that's separate and no one's present for that. There's multiple scenes where none of the kind of main girls are present. Sure. Like, there's the whole scene where um, Blue is threatening uh, Madame Gorski off to the side, and it's like nobody's a part of this conversation. Right, right, right. yeah. So that's weird. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, by traditional, like, narrative in terms of, like, Fight Club. It's like every yep. scene, uh, spoilers for Fight Club, you, you, everyone knows. Um, every scene that Brad Pitt is in, Edward Norton is also in. Like there is a clear, like, and they go yep. back and try and show you and explain like, oh, it, you know, gives you a movie to rewatch <clears throat> the movie because it's clever. Well, I feel like, you know what, uh, you know what the first rule of Fight Club is? Uh, Brad Pitt slash Edward Orton is AFI's sixth best movie here of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I've... The first rule of Fight Club. Yeah. yeah, okay. That makes sense. 
I feel like the, we're talking about the movie. I, I feel like this movie is attempting things that movies before it, like Fight Club or Mulholland Drive, yeah. um, have attempted and done really successfully. That when you kind of go back and you you hear the movie explained, you're like, oh, okay. That I think Enemy, which I think was a year after this movie came out, the Denis Villeneuve movie, you go oh, okay, I'm adding it up. And even if you don't like the movie, you go, okay, now it makes some sense to me and that's interesting and I kind of see what we're doing or like here. It, interpretations. Like, I think Mulholland Drive has yeah. a really like simple interpretation mm-hmm. that checks out like that. But it's still, I think if you go back and look at it after watching the whole thing, you're like, okay, there's there's a ton of connections I can make here to see what the overall arc and, and idea of the movie is right. and what it's trying to say. I, yeah. th- I think another example, and this one also has three three kind of stories going on that kind of intersect is the fountain, um, which okay. I've talked about before. I, I love that movie and that's open to interpretation, like tons of interpretations. So yeah. Also well, think, this movie yeah. came out a year after inception and I feel like right. a lot of people probably looked at this sure. and were like, no. <laughs> yeah. Especially cause inception is, is uh, I, I, I like a good Nolan movie, but it's the most literal possible way you could do anything dealing with a dream. Yeah. Like, We've been some reality. buildings. That's that's about yeah, as like, as crazy we, as it gets. And, and all of the layers are so like detailed and and outlined and crisp. And it's like this is the boundary. And obviously, there's stuff towards the end of that that is playing with that. But yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah, when that when that is so easy to read from a viewer perspective and understand what is happening narratively throughout, and then you come to something like this, yeah. And I think that's what's what. Is in, like all those movies reward a rewatch and then reward kind of. I, I feel this way kind of about The Green Knight, where you understanding what that movie's trying to say and what David Lowry had, and some of it's interpreta- interpretation or interpretive, and some of it is his intention. But this movie with Sucker Punch, you you watch it and you go, wait, what? And then Alex, you report all this stuff, and I go, oh, okay, I see what he was trying to do, and it's it's such an interesting thing to go. With some movies, you hear the director's vision and you're like, I didn't get any of that. I don't know what you're, you, you completely missed the boat. And other times you go, oh my, of course, that's so, makes so much sense. And here I go, no, I see, I see how that means that. I don't think you did it well, but I see how it <laughs> means. No, I totally see what you're doing. I don't like it. Well, I think also just <laughs> it's in an terms odd kind of thing. just general rules of storytelling, and this can lead us back into the characters potentially, I think that giving yourself an out to make who is seemingly your main character boring and basically non-existent. Like she's just a prop, which again, speaks to the commentary, I guess. Um, But having baby doll just be a completely blank slate and she doesn't really have much of a personality. um, She's a weak character and Emily Browning's fine with what she's given, but she doesn't have anything to do aside from look pretty. Why? And also, it's not like Abby Cornish's Sweet Pea has that much screen right. time as well. So right. it's there were a lot of times when I was like, "Is is Jenna Malone the second lead, really?" Yeah. But then you kind of, but then if, again, if if all of this is supposed to be that Sweet Pea is it's all happening in her mind, of course Rocket is such a major figure. Right. Yeah. It's it's an odd, it's it's an odd thing. And Alex, you you alluded, you, how do you feel like character and acting? You know, nobody has great opportunities here as an actor, I don't think. Um, right. I, I think Oscar Isaac does the best job. Scott Glenn is, is good, but he's he's doing the thing that Scott Glenn does well. He's yeah. he's gruff and authoritative, 
but he's got kind of a like smart aleck kind of kind of wry thing going on i did he's like nice i did kind of appreciate in his video game cutscene kind of sections where he's just giving out exposition of like you need to go across the map and and shoot the guys and get the thing um he does like in every dream sequence he he starts to walk away and he turns around and says oh and one more thing and then he just has some terrible like line of wisdom that makes no Mm -hmm. sense and i'm like Mm -hmm. all right i think this is the closest snyder's ever come to telling a joke (laughs) (laughs) don't wake the mother and uh yeah and it's also it was fun to watch this and go like in only a few years, he would play another grizzled, smart aleck martial arts guy right? Uh, in uh, Marvel TV's Daredevil, which mm-hmm. is ATVI's um, number seven hero of all time, Marvel's Daredevil. Who are <laughs> no, specifically ATVI's Stick number one is six. the number seven. <laughs> number yeah. t- t- TV guys? Yeah, and Scott I want to clarify. Glenn, Scott Glenn from Sucker Punch is AFI's seventh best movie hero of all time yeah scott glenn from daredevil is a tvi's seventh best tv hero of all time yeah yeah the the one that's behind like seinfeld and seinfeld is number four um, yeah yeah alf alf is number well alf is number three Uh, five and six were of course um wallace and gromit they each got their own (laughs) slot Yes, they should. So it's it, it, it's uh, going from seven to one. It's Scott Glenn and Daredevil. Stick was his name. Stick Wallace Gromit, which is fun to say. Seinfeld, Alf. <laughs> and then I think it was... Um, Curly. Curly from the Three Stooges is number uh-huh. three. Uh-huh. Uh, William from Downton Abbey is number two. Not Hugh Bonneville, not Dan Stevens. I think we already, I think we, I think we've miscounted here, but that's fine. They can, no, no, there's, uh, a, t- there's a tie for number one. Five and four. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. The tie for number one <laughs> was. Where does the Tasmanian devil come into all of this? Oh, he's, he's in villains, dude. He's in villains. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, TV that's where we're drawing the line here. Yeah. These are, he's these he's the... in villains between Darth Vader and, and the Joker. <laughs> and the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> It starts with Tasmanian Devil from Space Jam Two specifically, and then, <laughs> and then oh, the number, the tied for number one TV guys are John Madden and <laughs> <laughs> John Madden and um, uh, Squid, 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 Squid Game, the Squid from Squid Game. <laughs> Does that game? Does that does that game? Does that show have a squid? Nope. Is there an actual squid? Not really. Well, no, not really. It's really good. I like Squid Game a lot, <laughs> but there's not an actual squid in it, um, except for the purposes of ATVIs. Right, right, right. Because they didn't really get it. Do you? Guys... <laughs> which <laughs> this is ver- what the, this is what the kids want? Rank Squid Game. Which version of the Joker is is below Tasmanian Devil or above Tasmanian Devil? There's actually five versions of the Joker on this list. Uh, Are they a different? <laughs> do you occupy different slots? Yes. Okay. Yes. Hmm. Um, the one below Tasmanian Devil is Caesar Romero. Oh, good. The one above Darth Vader, so two spots above Tasmanian Devil, is uh, the one from the 
what is it what is it called uh the the killing joke adaptation oh yeah the animated one that that one yeah, yeah okay for sure um and then like three spots above him is uh the specifically the arkham knight joker oh interesting yeah who himself much like sweet pea was a, an invention of the main character's correct mind so good yeah very cool very fitting very fitting thank you afi <laughs> for celebrating cinema <laughs> i would love that if like robert osborne showed up i believe he's passed away but um i don't know who the current like movie person is but i guess um we'll we'll say film critic hulk smash <laughs> showed up and was <laughs> like these are our top movie villains of all time. Several Jokers, Darth Vader, and the Tasmanian <laughs> Devil. <laughs> they actually did do a top movie villain. I'm going to look it up. Because number yeah, one. Yeah, no, there is one. Yeah, number one was Hannibal Lecter. Sure. Which is sure. pretty good. Top movie. Alex, talk about the, uh, the movie we're talking about while I look up this list. Sure. Um... Yeah, in terms of performances, I agree. I think Oscar Isaac kind of has the most to do in terms of just acting in scenes. I do think yeah. Jenna Malone is quite good in this, and yeah. it was yeah, she is. Th- it was this performance that kind of led people to, and myself included, to be upset when it was like, "Oh, she's going to be in Batman vs Superman," and everybody mm. thought, "Oh, this this guy won't shut up about Dark Knight Returns. She's going to be a female Robin or Oracle right. or somebody." And then she's just a scientist who talks about a bullet. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I, I did like her in this. Admittedly, this is the kind of performance that Jenna Malone can, like, do in her sleep. Sure. Yeah. You know, she's, like, a fast-talking, no-nonsense cool girl. Which, like, she's very good at, at doing this. She was doing that kind of thing a lot at this point in her career with, like, this and um, uh, uh, Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, I almost said Halt and Catch Fire. That's not, she's not in that show. Ma'am, if only I, I'm not. I'm not sure how I feel about Carla Gugino in this, in so much as she's doing she's doing this over the top Polish accent, and I'm not like. Yeah. Does it does it come and go? Like I feel like kind of over the course of this sort of fever dream of a movie for me. Uh, that that like at times I notice it, and at times I didn't, and I was confused by that. Well, I wonder if she tries to do something different depending on which version of maybe. the character she's maybe playing. I, so. I, maybe that did blend together, and I missed it. But yeah, yeah. and I I was thinking this yesterday. Carla Gugino is an actor who I've probably seen her in more things than I realize, but she, I think she's a good actor. I don't think she's like you know, Holly Hunter. She's not like a, a oh my god, she, what a what a brilliant performer. But like she is good and she, you know, I'm sure her looks have have helped her career a lot, but she is not someone who has to rely on her looks for work. Like she is a good actor and I thought she did a nice job in Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. But um, Gerald's game, she's fantastic in that. OK, yeah, I've heard that. Who Also from uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Mike now. Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. Thank you. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah he did Dr. Sleep. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was Ruben Fleischer. You, you, you know, shut your mouth, sir. He's, he's no, he, he's known for he has directed several of the great of AFI's movie. Because number nine on the AFI movie heroes was Rutledge or whatever Jesse Eisenberg's character in Zombieland is. 
<laughs> you know what the interesting thing about that movie is? About the uh, number 10 on the villains list is Venom in the first Venom movie. But in mm-hmm. the second Venom movie, he's on the heroes list. Isn't that yeah. interesting? Characters. Yeah. Character really. Growth. Much like the growth of the Venom symbiote when he is eating brains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't eat brains in the second one because he's he's grown. Right. He's actually shrinking while growing. Yeah. So I, I think that Ruben Fleischer has contributed a lot. Uh <laughs> <laughs> just that's all just, just period i think he's contributed a lot, he's doing a lot you know? yeah come on guys um how else do you think we were able to send all those kids to camp yeah so we uh, i did i'm looking up here we are wikipedia never lies afi's top um heroes and villains and uh, everybody i'm not gonna there's like a hundred of them or something the AFI mm-hmm. defined a hero as quote a all car- right well let's block out the next 20 minutes <laughs> a- go through it the AFI defined a hero as a character who prevails in extreme circumstances and dram- dramatizes a sense of morality, courage, and purpose. Though they may be ambiguous or flawed, they often sacrifice themselves to show humanity at its best. Much like Alf. <laughs> uh, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> so, I, number one is Atticus Finch. Uh, Indiana Jones, number two. James Bond, number three. Specifically from Dr. No. Okay. Um, you got Casablanca, you got High Noon, Clarice Starling, number six. Ellen Ripley from Aliens, number eight. Rocky, okay. Yeah, Rocky Balboa, number seven. Um, Lawrence of Arabia, number ten. Han Solo is number fourteen. Uh, Gandhi is number twenty-one, which feels like <laughs> cheating. Um, Christopher Reeve, Superman, number twenty-six. Sure, sure, sure. Into it. Where's where's Abe Lincoln? <laughs> Honestly, right? Why isn't Jesus on this list? <laughs> he sacrificed himself for the greater good. Uh, <laughs> number 42 is Spencer Tracy from a movie called Boys Town, which I've seen and it's fine and that's one to say. Uh, number 48, <laughs> Terminator 2, the Terminator himself. Okay. And then, of course, number 50 is Gladiator from Gladiator. Is that does he not have a name? Maximus Decimus Meridius. Okay, but I I know him as Gladiator or or you know Glad Gladys Gladys. I know him as Russ. Hey, <laughs> I I know him simply as the man <laughs> from Unhinged. Now that <laughs> See, Tyler knows that, him as need, Unhinged. That's why they need to redo the AFI villains list is so they can put yeah, Unhinged yeah they got to update there. and make sure Mister Unhinged. For sure, make sure he's, he's on the there. Oh my eh, god! I think he's a hero. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> Alex, come hot take. <laughs> I want to like look. There's a you, lot of we deep live in a... social commentary that you guys just completely missed when I... we watched that. <laughs> uh, I want to. I want to put together a, either a meme or a T-shirt or something that's like a one of those memes that just horribly misuses the Joker to be like society edge lord. Yeah. Commentary. Uh but it's it's Russell Crowe's face from an <laughs> I like that. Uh Norman Bates from Psycho, number two on villains, number one mm-hmm. being and uh Hannibal Lecter. Darth Vader specifically from Empire Strikes Back. As though Rogue One does doesn't exist. This movie was, this list was made in like two thousand and one. Um <laughs> So literally Rogue One did not exist. Yeah. 
Snow, the evil queen from Snow White is number 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the shark from Jaws is number 18. Yeah. Put some respect on my boy's name. Hey, guys, number 20, it's man from Bambi. That's that's gotta make you rethink your life's priorities. Yeah, it's man. Number twenty two is the Terminator from the Terminator. <laughs> I feel like the implication there is like, oh, the man, like it's gotta be like, you know, this is the, it's like when time made man the person of the year or whatever or whatever that is. <laughs> sure, or, sure. Or you whatever it, it, it's supposed <laughs> to be mirror. a statement like that, but they're like, well, we gotta put. We gotta attach a movie to it. Right, it's right. Like, what about Bambi? And it also, like, it's wait, no, no it's one's all... going to associate with the hunter from Bambi. There's also number twenty. I'm also <laughs> clarifying. I'm skipping all the ones that like legitimately make sense, like Kathy Bates in Misery or like mm-hmm. uh, Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List. Like there are a lot. Taxi Driver. There are a lot on here that are like, no, that's legit. I'm Alf. not gonna make a joke about that. Um, Martians from the War of the Worlds. Okay. Um, played by various. Hmm. Uh, da, 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 da. Little Caesar, the pizza place. <laughs> Freddy Krueger's number forty. Cruella Deville's number thirty-nine. Sorry, ser- sorry, child molesting serial killer. This lady doesn't like dogs. She's worse than you. <laughs> um, the Jack Nicholson Joker number forty-five. There we go. Um, made it in. Yeah. Uh, Arik Goldfinger is number 49. There you go. And number 50 is Denzel Washington from Training Day. Uh, nowhere is the Tasmanian Devil listed. I guess they didn't want to like... <laughs> All right, I'm going to go update the Wikipedia page. Well, well I, I think they didn't want to promote his message. Sure. It's kind of like how, you know, they don't want to like accidentally glorify <laughs> history. <laughs> History's greatest villain. <laughs> villain, the Tasmanian Devil. Suddenly you have a bunch of like uh, messy guys going blah, 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 blah to each other. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> Spinning in circles. <laughs> Throwing think, dirt around. Do you think that's Todd Phillips next movie or is this called <laughs> is it called Devil? And everyone's like, oh, cool. Like, what's this about? And it's just about Taz. <laughs> You know, guys, I think I think we've just pulled off our own distraction, our own third level right. of reality. And by that, I mean, Joseph, you're now 10 minutes further in your drive than you were before. How do you <laughs> feel? True. Yeah, we I joked about setting aside 20 minutes for that bit. And I think we used 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you guys uh, do you guys think that the dark thing uh, or like the Joker and Joker was a stand up comic in this one? He's like a washing machine designer or like he makes those little spinning things, carousels on a playground. Sure. And I was he's gonna sitting say on he's, one. Blah, he's, blah, he's, blah, like blah. A, he's like a janitor. Yeah. Something, and then yeah. It all goes wrong. One wascally wabbit later. That's Elmer Fudd. It works. It's fine. <laughs> the audience will see things they recognize and clap. Um, I would like to present <laughs> my theory on Snyder that I that I had Please, a revelation yeah. I had after finally watching his the the I guess I've seen all of his movies except for 
Army of the Dead and whatever that new one that he made or maybe just produced that is a prequel. Have you seen his Dawn of the Dead? Probably directed by Ruben Fleischer. I have seen Dawn of the Dead okay. many an age ago. No, same. Uh, and had no idea, like, no context for Snyder or anything like that. Sure. Um, it probably wasn't long. Because when was Dawn of the Dead? 2004? So then his next after that was 300? Yeah. Okay. It was probably in that time frame. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't I haven't gone back to it since then. I don't know, no, I, but yeah, um, my my I I realized after getting into this that I think Zack Snyder is too like self awareness as Alex Honnold is to climbing mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think Alex Alex Honnold they've they've who if you don't if you're not aware go watch Free Solo because it's an incredible documentary. Brilliant. Um, I. <laughs> he he literally like he's been studied psychologically he does not have a fear of like his own like mortal coil like he is he is not just literally the the receptors in his brain do not trigger uh when he is like climbing up a mountain he's he's you know got no safety net and he's 300 feet in the air uh he's it's totally just like does not register for him that he needs to be terrified uh and i think Snyder does the same thing where like he sees something that he decides is cool and he just does it. He doesn't he doesn't think about like is this going to impact the way people see this movie? Is this going to impact the plot that I have going on? Is it going to affect themes, character like it, I don't know what this is going to do, but I'm going to do this thing and I it doesn't even process for me that people may not connect with it. That it, that it, like the idea of somebody seeing that thing as well and being like, "Oh, that's not that's not a cool thing." It just uh, he's just like it is. I don't know what you're talking about. Like I think I think he just does not register that other people might see that differently. The thing that really drove this, or the thing that made this click for me, is specifically when Baby Doll goes to uh, the temple and the the samurai with the machine gun shows up and. She just has, or the minigun, I guess. She just has this like grim determination. She's like, "All right, I'm deal <laughs> with this." It's not like a smirk. Yeah, uh, it's not a. I think the thing I said to y'all was it was kind of refreshing because it wasn't a, uh, you know, to you've got your group of heroes and one of them's like, "Oh my god, a samurai with a minigun! What are they gonna do next?" Or, "Oh, my day couldn't get any better, could it?" And like you know, some sort of quippy thing like that. It was just straight up like, all right, it's time to kill the samurai with the minigun. <laughs> and I think that's really what made me be like, okay, it, it, it clicks for me now. Yeah. Like there, it takes a certain level of just not even pro, not even like arrogance or, uh, you know, kind of over, over inflated ego. I think it's just straight up. Like it doesn't compute that. Yeah. Uh, like it's, it's the saving Martha thing. It's like that doesn't. It, it, he's like, yeah, this. They, their parents are both. Their, their mothers are both named Martha. That I think that's a cool connection. We're gonna go for that. That's gonna be a big plot point. And then when people are like, oh, that's that's really silly. He's like, I I don't know what to tell you. It, th- this is this is the movie. Watch it. 
I, I, I think that that tracks and I'm just picturing that beautiful, terrifying image from free solo where he's like very, very high up on the mountain and he's standing like chest against it. And he kind of like stands there and moves his hands away and just sort of like hovers mm-hmm. like in, in this blissful sort of Zen in the air. And I'm just like, he's labeled Zack Snyder and that's labeled like Martha. The mountain is labeled like <laughs> Martha moment or samurai with a minigun. And it's just this like, yeah, this is what it is, man. This is, this is, this is the only thing that feels real. Totally. And the, just like Alex Honnold has a very supportive partner. There you go. Yeah. I think it works out. All right. Yep. Yeah. Right. I, I was, I was expecting to, to blow y'all's minds with, with my, <laughs> my, uh, my deep dive and research. Ty, Tyler just watched the film and had a, had an epiphany. <laughs> I, I will say uh, I do like the I did not pick up on the idea that um, like Rocket and Sweet Pea, which makes it really hard to make a serious statement about something in the film that I have to call them Rocket and Sweet Pea. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that uh, there is a sacrifice, a, a sisterly sacrifice, and that's sort of a maybe a redemption or a turnaround of the uh, the accidental killing in the beginning of the movie. I do like that. Um, I think it's a nice connection. I will say I've was having a very hard time understanding why they needed to set up the dance number to distract the cook. Uh, because that like, I, from a movie perspective, you can say, Oh, there, there's no way they could get the knife away from the cook without, uh, him, you know, turning them in or, or whatever. But like, uh, baby doll steals it from him specifically earlier in the movie. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> I feel like there are better plans than to set up a radio and have her suddenly dance on a table <laughs> for this cook. Well, when you... I was I felt the uh what what is the word? I always forget this phrase. Um the the limits of my belief. Oh, uh, suspension sus- of disbelief. Suspension yeah. of disbelief. There. Yeah. You go. Um I felt like that really stretched me to a point of I don't think we need to do the dance for this i right. think we could just find a, well, a plan to steal it i mean there the, are four of them with, and one cook within the logic of the movie they set up that the dance is supposed to be hypnotic particularly doll guys that watch it so on that level it's fine but uh, also yeah. also in terms of like there is the scene where the cook attacks rocket and baby doll does use a knife to try and hold him back while they escape yeah he would immediately like, like tell Oscar Isaac and, and like send people after them. If he knew that they had a knife on them. It's also just like logistically though, everything else either had to get into a room or the person had a lighter in his breast pocket. They have to get. Yeah. But here it's like, it's a kitchen and there are many knives in the kitchen. You can just, maybe that is the point of the, the early scene where rocket is trying to steal chocolate. It's supposed to be like, no, the cook is very watchful, like surprisingly watchful. Like you have to, like constantly hold down like L two to crouch. Yep. Under and every time he looks up and goes, you have to hide in the tall grass in the kitchen. Right. (laughs) Must be another mouse. And then do 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 do, and you have to like watch on the little mini map for the red cone of his vision to sway away from you. I mean, Britain, if we are operating on video game logic, I think that is completely sound within this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh And then where the uh uh. When when you complete the mission, you get the trophy pops, and it's candy like candy from a baby. Steel knife without getting I, noticed. I wish that uh, 
there is a point in this where they try and steal it from him without using the the radio and he like turns around and grabs her and like pushes her up against the wall with a knife uh and then it does the thing that like the last of us does where as he like approaches with a knife it blacks out and then it cuts to the loading screen it's like all right you died start over (laughs) and it just does all of that in the middle of the scene with no context (laughs) we show a loading screen for whatever the loading screen for sucker punch would look like and then we just redo the scene retry checkpoint uh, yeah there's a line at the bottom that's like, low on health? Try taking a health potion. <laughs> Increasing your defense makes it easier to take a hit. <laughs> um, chocolate will replenish your vigor, but Chef may not be too happy about it. <laughs> Should I get into the uh, extended cut and the differences between the two? Yeah, probably so. Okay. Um, I thought so you I, were going to talk about a video game, but I don't know why I, so I thought that. I mean, AFI did a, a list of uh, top uh, 100 uh, video game heroes, so, I mean, we can... Mm-hmm. And they were that. all Parappa the Rappa. <laughs> <laughs> Except for one that was Gex. <laughs> he was number 37. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, go on. So, extended the extended cut. cut. The extended cut. The extended cut, I think, is like roughly 15 to 20 minutes longer than the theatrical cut. <laughs> really? Um, there's two key scenes that are kind of added in. The rest of it is just kind of additional action or a couple of additional lines of dialogue. But from what I could glean, it wasn't anything major. Um, the first major thing is that the musical number um, where they sing Love is the Drug um, with uh, Oscar Isaac and Carlo Gugino that plays during the credits in both versions is now a kind of centerpiece scene um, that happens, uh, you know, fairly early in the film. Um, I think that's kind of the best scene in the movie. And Mm. I I think um, since you guys have only watched the theatrical cut, I do recommend you go and watch like the full thing because the, obviously it's spliced in with the credits. So you don't actually see the full sequence. Right. Um, But it's, it's just delightful. And on, on the level of a music video, it's great. <laughs> um, the other big one, and I'm not sure how much of this helps the ending, but it's, I, I don't know. The The transition in the, at the end is very jarring in the theatrical cut, I feel, because the, I, the, the way it, the edit is handled is that baby doll tells Sweet Pea, okay, I'm going to go distract these guys. It's not my story. You go and, and live a life. That's the victory. And so she, baby doll then goes and distracts these these goons that are standing out in front of the area um and then it immediately cuts to her being lobotomized if i remember correctly like it's a hard cut to john ham performing the lobotomy um in the extended cut and i can't remember how this kind of fades out in the theatrical cut but she like she kicks one of the guys in the groin um, and then they punch her and knock her out. That's that's what happens in the extended cut, at least. And then it cuts to her waking up in bed, and the high roller, John Hamm's character, is there. Um, and she's kind of being prepped and beautified for him to meet her. And so you're thinking, oh, is something very wholly uncomfortable is about to happen? I'm uh, I I saw 300. I'm not I'm not okay with this. Zach Zachary, stop. Um, but we don't actually see anything happen. And John Hamm's character is specifically like, I'm not, I'm not looking to rape you or sexually assault you. I want this to be consensual. I want you to actually, this to be something that you want to participate in. 
and I'm particularly just looking for like a moment of truth. Um, and so the whole idea is that she's supposed to take control of her femininity, I guess. Um, and then from that, it cuts to the lobotomy, which is why you have the line of him going, wow, it's like she wanted me to do it. It's very confusing. I, I, I think using a lobotomy as the means for your character to be quote unquote free doesn't really work within the metaphor because of the whole yeah. the whole idea is supposed to be you create your own reality you take the tools around you and you build your reality no matter what situation you're stuck in you can use if it's the power of imagination if it's like friendship if it's a, a you know a sisterly bond with someone like you can you do you know you can you can escape the the kind of a hellish con- confines of your reality but to literally say it's it takes a lobotomy to do that i i don't think that works and the through the after that moment at least for the next five minutes or so anytime that we're looking at her it's never her face yeah and i don't and then we i think we do end up seeing her face like right at the end i don't really know what the goal is that uh i I found it. I like the bus scene. I like where the in theoretically the dream world, which does look like the dream world. It's it's got the same like color grading and everything. Right. Um, Sweet Pea uh, shows up to a bus that ends up being driven by Stick, and uh, she's in line to get on, and some cops show up, and they're like, "Hey." You, we we have questions for you and sticks like oh she's been with me forever i don't i don't understand she wouldn't have anything to do with this area and the cops are like all right fine um and so he he helps her get on the bus and, and they drive off and so i like i don't know if the idea behind that is that it's because i thought it was strange that the entire time their their mentor in the dream world was this this older man when he i kind of would think like oh feminine empowerment like if that's what they're going for like if that had been carly gugino right uh I, I thought that was a little strange that that was the idea but maybe the goal there is that men also have to be aware of where yeah that's happening in our society and stuff i don't I don't know at all what the movie wants you to take. It feels like the movie has very strong opinions and I do not understand any of them. Uh, and I think that's kind of where I land on the whole thing. No, I, I, I agree. <laughs> Cause I it, liked, yeah. <clears throat> no, sorry, go, on. go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, because with, with Scott Glenn, you, he only ever exists in the fantasy world. So it's hard for you to understand what, what he's supposed to mean. I like when there's the creepy mayor man and they play uh, rap music over him yes. to like emphasize how uh, kind of like not cool he is. Sure. Uh, no, I, th- I think that was neat. I liked that yeah. choice of music to kind of juxtapose him being a creepy old man. Yeah, it's supposed really to be actually. this like really pompous, like, braggadocio hip-hop song and it's just set to this like guy who looks like he's auditioning to play the penguin like off broadway right. it's right. also got like 
it's got bits of like queen in there right yeah i think it starts playing like bits of we are the champions um or is it we will rock you maybe it's it's both okay because i know i want it all is in there okay yeah yeah and and, yeah and just like as a soundtrack i've said this before i like that cover of white rabbit um yeah the emiliana trini thing i think that's great um i like that cover of where is my mind emily browning sings on like three of these songs like she sings the sweet dreams cover at the beginning um and she sings in the where is my mind i think there's another one she does (laughs) that was that was part of the deal she read the script and she was like i don't why am I baby doll like this? The most boring character ever. And Zach, Zach goes, don't worry, you'll get to sing. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a series of unfortunate events, sir. <laughs> and I will be in Pompeii and other movies Britain hasn't seen. Yeah, but uh, Tyler, I... circling back, I the ending kind of completely confuses me. And, and like I said, I think the if it is supposed to be leaning towards Sweet Pea or whoever are main character is got a lobotomy and that's the real victory because she's free now i don't know how to interpret that (laughs) or if that's even i don't know it's 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 uh, it's interesting yeah but i don't know i think misguided might be the right word yes sure 100 percent um oscar isaac does get his character does get arrested at the end so like i guess which i think confuses it even more to give us like some victory yeah i I mean well that is supposed to be the big tell that they're what like this is supposed to be a good thing somehow that the lobotomy is actually a good thing is that he is specifically trying to um assault her when she's completely out of body and mind and he's like no don't you leave me you can't do this and then he gets arrested and that like at the end carlo gugino is like standing up for them and trying to like help take him down briefly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's all weird. My big, my, my big final takeaway, uh, the reason the radio short circuits in the, in the kitchen scene, ultimately leading to the distraction failing and rocket getting killed. Uh, that, that happens because they throw a, a pot of potatoes and water over the side of the table while they're clearing the table. Um, maybe if they treated the potatoes better, <laughs> they would have uh, been fine. That's all I'm saying. Respect your tubers. Respect the tubers. They should have watched that uh that YouTube documentary about the weird fries, right, Britain? Yeah. Yeah. Made by a tuber. By tubers for tubers. Those those channel. tubers those tubers could have been the weirdest fries, and now they're nope. No one's gonna eat four potatoes. No. Gosh. Not not especially not when someone's been murdered near them. Oh, that's bad. That's bad vibes. Oh, gross. Those are the you don't want creepy fries. You want weird fries. Exactly. The difference. What is this? A Halloween special? I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. I don't want floor potatoes. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Nobody eats floor potatoes. Sounds like a picture book. <laughs> I don't and know maybe why. A good one. Maybe, maybe you know. Maybe, like, maybe you Daf- want to teach kids not to eat off the floor. Maybe Daft Pilkey got his hands on it. I don't know. My my uh, my toddler dumped some cereal over earlier, and he just went to town. He could have used <laughs> a uh, a picture book telling him not to eat the floor cereal. <laughs> but... Yeah. Instead, <laughs> Rocket died. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Once he gets old enough that you want to confront on mortality, he starts knocking food over. Grow, you know, I, you know, I have a story about somebody else who knocked over some food. <laughs> they died, <laughs> and then their friend got a lobotomy. <laughs> so I think you want to be a little more careful with your with your Cheerios, there, champ. The last thing I wanted to touch on um, before we get <laughs> yes, into grades. Papa. Because I, I I feel I feel the conversation winding down, <laughs> um, right as the Snyder cut was coming out. I think they interviewed one of the actresses um, from Sucker Punch, and they were talking about how there was all of this stuff that was cut, and it seems like another debacle of the studio just wanting to excise a lot of the film. Um, and uh, apparently, there is some longer version, potentially R-rated, that is hidden sure. somewhere. So the, there, there may be another Snyder cut. Um, I doubt that they would ever release it, just based off of yeah. the critical and commercial failing of this movie. Um, I'm, I, I am actually surprised it, that they didn't fire him from Man of Steel because this movie was, yeah, the one leading up to that. Maybe it was already too far into production. I don't know. Wasn't. When it, oh no, Man of Steel was 2013. Yeah, it was supposed huh. to come out at the end of 2012, though it got pushed back. Okay. Yeah, I I I will say I think if this had come out, um, you know, 2017, if, if this had been like he went and did this after uh oh, yeah. getting tangled up and everything after Justice League, um, just in terms of all the studio like dropping him basically and and all that, um. Theoretically, him stepping away, but I, I feel like Warner Brothers was like, we're going to take this chance to totally try to revamp our image and get Joss Whedon. Look how that worked out. <laughs> um, but I uh, I feel like if it, if that had been the case and the movie had been like if, if fans had gotten a whiff of, oh, there was studio meddling at all, then absolutely there would be like a, a big push for that as well to be like restore his vision. And maybe that would be a, a more... I will say every extended cut... Uh, every. I say every. The two extended cuts that I have watched of uh, Snyder's both filled in actual plot. <laughs> like, like both of them... I, I don't know if it's just the way he makes his movies, but, like, both BVS and Justice League have stuff that does not actually make sense. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have the full version and for some reason the only way to cut his movies down is to take out stuff that is structural <laughs> plot points um so maybe that maybe there is like something to that that this would be more kind of at least legible yeah as a viewer but I, well my understanding is that at the very least it gives the actresses more stuff to do might have been jamie chung and we haven't really mentioned her because she unfortunately doesn't sure. she just doesn't get much to do um but she's fine. Um, I think she might have been the one that was getting asked about it. And she was like, yeah, there was all this stuff that we shot and all this this extra stuff that got, just got cut out of the movie. So yeah. I think at the very least, it might have helped alleviate that problem in terms of just weak characters overall. Yeah, she and uh, I mean, Vanessa Hudgens is barely in it. Like, right. she really does. Um, I, I, I'll go first with my grade because I, I am probably going to be the nicest to it. Um, I'm going to give it a C minus, which is the same thing that I gave 300. Um, and I, you know, 
very different kind of overall thoughts, but both are, are very misguided and confusing and uh, 300 on a plot level makes more sense, I guess. But um, yeah. I appreciate the ambition with this, so I don't want to put it like in the D range or anything. And there's a lot that I actually do like. And this is a movie that I am interested in discussing with people and you know, like doing the deep dive. It didn't feel like homework or anything. It didn't feel like this is a this is a puzzle I have to solve. Sorry, my phone's going off. Um, it didn't feel like a puzzle. Jeez. <laughs> I know. It's popular over we're, here. No, we're just going too late. It's time for bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's my bedtime. Um, but uh, yeah. There's, there's there's just there's just a lot here to unpack, and it's one of those cases where I don't know if. I don't know which of us is smarter, me or the movie. And maybe we're just both two big old dummies, so I'm giving it a C minus. I gave 300 a D, correct? D plus. I gave it a D plus? Somehow. Um, Then C minus. Okay. I'm going to go D plus. Yeah. I'm going worse than 300, I think. 300 just visually clicks better. Sure. It's certainly more cohesive. Yeah. Movies are weird. Um, But I have a rec- one to recommend, and I'll do fast so Alex can put on his nightcap and pull pull the blankets right up to his chin, and the little feather above his mouth can just yep. can just float as he goes, me, 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 as he sleeps. Mm-hmm. Um. But I watched a movie that I really liked from 2020 called Wolf Walkers. This is an animated movie. In, in many <laughs> ways, it should have been my recommendation last week, but I didn't finish it um, by that point. It is an animated movie from Ireland, directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart, I believe. Um, if uh, It's from the guys, I believe they made Song of the Sea and Secret of Kells, which are both great. Um, Wolf Walkers is basically the story of this young woman in Robin who moves to Ireland with her father, who is a wolf hunter, to help protect this sort of forest-adjacent castle town and clear out the wolves who are seen as this nuisance and this sort of scourge of the community. And whilst there, she meets this young girl uh, who may or may not be a legendary wolf walker. You have to watch the movie to know what that is. And it's, it's a really neat narrative. It's, it's, in, in a lot of ways, it's just like a really strong, like middle grade YA book, kind of kind of a, a plot and kind of a tone. Um, but it's it's done with such great art. Like I don't know, I don't know exactly specifically how to describe it, and I don't have the word to sum it up. But it is a gorgeous looking movie. Like it is one of the best looking animated movies I've seen in a long time. A lot of it, I think, is hand drawn. And there is just so much care put into every frame of it and how they're angling things and how they're communicating information with shadows or, or whatever. It's, it is stunning to look at. And it's, it's this weird reminder of how hand-drawn animation can be more freeing and more liberated than CGI sometimes. Whereas CGI, almost there's more gravity and there's more weight. And with this, they can be more sort of artistic and, and less literal in how they're describing things visually. Um, but yeah, it, you have to see it to really get what I mean. It is a stunning looking movie. And Sean Bean is uh, the voice of the main character's dad. And he's always great. Love Sean Bean. 
Simon McBurney is, is in it, and he's quite good. Um, and yeah, music's great by Bruno Coulet, who did the great score for Coraline. Um, I really love it. It's an Apple TV Plus original. It might be, by this point, it might be available elsewhere for rent or something. I don't know. But it's definitely an Apple TV Plus, and I definitely recommend people check it out. Um, particularly if you have, you know, older, slightly older kids. All I mean, there's some there's some kind of spooky stuff. So maybe not like little little ones, but um, yeah, really anybody of, of all ages, check it out. It's I really really like it a lot, and it's called Wolf Walkers. I'll go the opposite direction um, in terms of this is not. A kid should not watch this. This is not for everybody. I am halfway through. Grinding Pam- Nemo. Pam and Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler made the appropriate face. Um, It's the miniseries on Hulu about uh, the sex tape that was stolen and then um, sold online between Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. And... It's really good. Um, it's a lot more explicit than I was expecting it to be. I mean, I know the subject, it's about a sex tape, but it shows like full frontal nudity of our, our two main characters. And there is a scene, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this, where Tommy Lee has a conversation with his privates and it's very explicit and uh, uncomfortable and it didn't need to be there. It, it gets very surreal and it's just, it, it Stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, like in the army? Like he's the general and they're the privates? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Lily James is fantastic in it. Um, beyond just like, oh, she looks like Pamela Anderson. I think she does a really good job of humanizing her. Um, and I mean, everyone does does really great work. Um, Seth Rogen um, is kind of just playing Seth Rogen, but I like Seth Rogen, so that's fine. Um yeah, it, it just does a really good job of, like, showing both sides, and it's just like, oh, this is just, like, humans interacting can be very, very messed up and very complex and messy. Um, and the relationship between the media and, uh, you know, celebrities and, and how that can kind of fall apart quickly, um, you know, it's just, it, it really does a really, it does a great job balancing tone. Like, I think it does a really good job bouncing between, oh, some of the Seth Rogen's kind of a goofy character, some of this funny stuff, and then it, it gets very serious very quickly, but it doesn't feel like it's um, whiplash or anything like that. Um, yeah, yeah, there's some really interesting people on that creative side, and I, Lily James is great just in general, so I am I am intrigued. Yeah, I think I uh, mentioned beforehand that Lake Bell directed the whatever the last episode was that I watched, and I was like, I like her. Yeah, she's he- great keep her doing things that's good it's <laughs> so, awesome yeah tyler uh i do have a superman comic book storyline to recommend to close out snyder the snyder posium snyder con is it is it the, <laughs> um, is it the comic book adaptation of man of steel it's not uh it does involve a comic called man of steel uh, because Superman had like four comics going on at the time of this. Uh, the comic I'm recommending is Superman Exile. Uh, it is, it should be available through like DC's comic book online streaming. Uh, they have DC Universe Infinite, I think is what it's called. Might be right about that. Hopefully it's got some combination of, of the Marvel took Marvel Unlimited 
and like had that service pretty well established and then dc introduced this and now it's like they don't know what to do dc Um, universe uncanny right (laughs) yeah uh but superman exile the the idea and the reason a it's it was really good i really enjoyed it um and the reason i'm recommending it is because the onus of the story is that uh really like the previous creator john byrne who i think i've recommended his like superman reboot before um he was leaving all the superman titles and was like i'm gonna go out burning everything as i leave because i feel like it um and he had superman get pulled into a like pocket universe because comics and uh ultimately in this universe zod and his his two cronies uh end up wiping out like all life and it's it's not like a big universe it's it's just like really earth is is all that's contained in this universe again it's comics um but he ends up the only thing he's he's able to do to resolve the situation and stop them from kind of following him back to the real world uh is is killing zod and the other two kryptonians and then he has a crisis of conscience about this and he uh ultimately ends up going into space and like doing a whole planet hulk thing uh way before planet hulk Hulk. happened and like and he grows a beard and gets gets all ragged he's got like a gladiator version of of his armor that incorporates his cape in a cool way uh and also it, it really dives into like kryptonian lore and he learns some stuff about his 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 past and his people uh and and sort of goes through this this redemption story which all this is to say that uh i think somewhere on a list of things that i would like to do with a time machine is go back and give this to Zack snyder uh prior to pvs <laughs> you're like hey have you considered i i noticed you killed zod i noticed you had superman murder <laughs> murder zod after a uh a philosophical uh conundrum involving your two races can i can i recommend a thing you can do if you really want me to believe that you're trying to turn superman into the superman we know and love might be a good way to take that story might be really interesting you you like you like showing us krypton you like having superman look all raggedy and uh sort of miserable put putting them through the ringer yeah what about that what if have you considered <laughs> uh yeah it's really good i i i had it in a um a big there's a there's a big chunky comic book called superman exile and other stories or collection um that i've had on my shelf forever and i finally was able to get to it um and i really really enjoyed it just in general but also i was fascinated because i was like man i really wish they had just done this i really wish they just said all right we we kind of crossed a crossed a line there here's how we can loop this in in a really interesting way uh and like i don't know i think i think that would have been neat and kind of right in snyder's wheelhouse yeah that sounds awesome well speaking of snyder's wheelhouse we're out of it for now (laughs) but we'll be back we're not done with him yet and he's not done with us he's got that new movie moon moon head or whatever he's doing oh yeah i guess we have to do every snyder movie now oh yeah um 
we next we, I don't think we fully decided, but next week we're gonna go back to like our core comp. We're gonna do like a franchise franchise. We'll be starting that next yeah. week. Um, so you know, watch this space, Tyler. What is that space? Uh, that space is all our internet presence sites. So you can go to herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. We're on Twitter at hctsequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. We're on Spotify. Uh, we are on the Apple Podcast app. We're all over the place. Like and subscribe if it lets you wherever you're listening to this. And leave a little review. Those things help push us up the charts yeah. and help more people yeah. find us. We could become AFI's 50th, 51st, and 52nd best movie heroes of all time. That's true. That's our goal. That would be <laughs> hilarious if it was like Maximus Decimus and Meridius, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Tyler, <laughs> High Noon, Strange Gary Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would be good. <clears throat> well, guys, thank you for listening to us talk about Zack Snyder. You know, that's why we started this, was to talk about Zack Snyder. Yeah. What brings I think we accomplished that goal. I think mm-hmm. we did. And um, I don't know why this movie was called Sucker Punch. I still, I still don't know. I still don't get it. But I guess that means, it, you know, do you want to live your life with all the answers, or do you want to still have some questions left over? Do we need do do we need to to have a, a five minute discussion about why it's called Sucker Punch? No, no, I I think it's better to leave them wanting. That's fair. Let, our listeners are smart. Let's let them come up with it. Let's leave that top spinning. I've yeah, come up with it and tell us, and then we can tell you if you got the right answer. Yeah, I've been Tyler. Yeah, tweet at us and tell us what it means, and uh, or tweet at Joseph. <laughs> tweet at tweet at Zack Snyder. Tweet tweet at Joseph. <laughs> Joseph's handle is. At Zack Snyder. (laughs) (laughs) I've been Alex. (laughs) Oh, and one more thing. You're having a good night.